666. Traffic is clear ahead from here to the afterlife, but it's hell outside. For the next hour, you're on nightmare time. So let's give a grave welcome to our hosts, John and Kim. Hello again, fiends, and welcome to Nightmare on Film Street. I'm Kim. I'm John. And it's Rocktober, Tober, Tober, Tober. That's right. This week on the podcast, we are talking about 1970s rock operas, Phantom of the Paradise, and Rocky Horror Picture Show. Well overdue, I would say. uh, Technically, the second time we've talked about the Rocky Horror Picture Show, I think. Thing. Yeah, we did try to do an episode. It Didn't work is, out so well. It is long since buried, uh, unless you're a patron, and then it's still buried. We're not going to tell you how to find it on Patreon. <laughs> yep. And Phantom of the Paradise, we're relatively new to it, but oh boy. I feel like it is ingrained in my DNA now. Yep. It is part of me. It is one of my chromosomes. I've started uh, spouting raven feathers. <laughs> I'm pretty sure every playlist I've made in the last two years has a Phantom of the Paradise song in it, or at least it's the very first song that goes in. It might eventually get taken out. It's really embarrassing because the majority of the space in my phone goes to photos. I'm a photo junkie. I don't delete things. My fo- my photos on my phone are a mess. I do, though, have a very few selection of songs that I have downloaded that I'm able to listen to offline. And the one that I have always had downloaded, basically since we discovered the movie, and have never deleted, is the soundtrack to Phantom of the Paradise. <laughs> but we wanted to celebrate Halloween with some really high-energy, fun movies. It's been a really weird year. This is going to be a weird Halloween. Uh, we want to make sure it's as fun and as hip and cool and I say high energy like an old person I I want you to have fun I want to have fun (laughs) I want this episode to be fun I don't know what fun is anymore (laughs) yeah and you know it's also you know coming toward the end of the sound of screams month here on the podcast and at nofspodcast.com we're celebrating foley art sound design horror movie scores and soundtracks and there are no two better movies that fit that category than Phantom of the Paradise and Rocky Horror Picture Show. Especially Rocky Horror Picture Show. It's like the Halloween movie, the Halloween soundtrack. Um, I don't think you, even you listening probably go a Halloween without at least seeing the time warp somewhere. And now, well, I mean, it hasn't happened this year because, like, you know, the world ended. But now it's just like this go-to for John that no matter where we go, if there happens to be a karaoke machine, even if it's not on, even if it's not karaoke night, even if they're not <laughs> using it, he sings a Rocky Horse. <laughs> they're great songs, and everybody loves them. That's that they're crowd pleasers, right? Okay, maybe just me. I don't. Know. There was one time I do remember doing the time warp, and I was in like the in magenta this tiny part, little bar, and yeah, I was just like, what's the right word? Cabaret style, leaning off the, the, the leaning. Dudes, yeah, I was leaning the dudes on people drinking at the bar. Definitely not there for karaoke <laughs> night. Like wanted nothing to do with it, and and John magented all over them. <laughs> Yeah, and then I Columbia'd it, with the wait staff. Like, it was a great end to that track. Oh, man. It could not be stopped. <laughs> but before we get into it, Kim, what's keeping you creepy this week? 
some exciting, fun stuff happening this weekend. As I was talking, complaining earlier about how Halloween is weird. Uh, we are doing a fun little Halloween watch party this Sunday. It starts at 8 p.m. if you're a patron. It's a patron-only screening of The House on Haunted Hill, the classic Vincent Price 1959 movie. Followed up at 10 p.m. with George A. Romero's The Night of the Living Dead. And it's free and open to everyone. We want all of you to come. That's 10 p.m. Eastern. It's going to be so much fun. John has scheduled some really fun pre-show stuff. So come 15 minutes early for your screening, whichever one you're coming to, or if you're coming to both, there's some really fun stuff. He's got trailers. He's got some fun clips. There's going to be nostalgic stuff. If you've joined any of our cartoon watch-alongs on Patreon, you know what you're in for. There's some there's some really fun stuff going to happen. It's going to be great. We're hosting it on Scener, which is a lot like the Netflix watch parties, but that gives us the ability to actually intro the movies and talk with you. And do a little video intro. Yeah, they're a lot of fun. And like you can really sort of like program and customize things. And there's emojis. Away. Yeah. Oh boy, that's the one thing next Netflix party really needed to upgrade fast. <laughs> like we need emojis and we need gifs. Yeah. So keep an eye on our social media, Twitter.com/nofspodcast, or you can actually follow us on Scener. That is Scener, S-C-E-N-E-R dot com slash nofspodcast. That's Sunday, October 25th at 8 p.m. Eastern for patrons and 10 p.m. Eastern for everybody. Speaking of Patreon, we have a drive home from the drive-in review of Ryan Spindell's The Mortuary Collection, uh, available for you to listen to right now. Last week, we talked to Ryan Spindell, writer, director, producer of The Mortuary Collection. Uh, if you enjoyed that interview, I highly recommend checking out the movie on Shudder. I, th- I also think it's a little weird if you do it in that order. <laughs> like maybe, <laughs> maybe go to Shudder first and then check out our interview with Ryan. Uh, there aren't too many spoilers in that if you haven't listened to it yet. But it's a, it's, it's a fun little horror anthology. The less you know about it going in, the better. It's super Halloween-y, um, super fun, and just easily like our favorite movie of the year, two years running. Totally. And that Drive Home from the Drive-In episode is available at patreon.com slash Nightmare on Film Street. And we still have 10 days left in the 31 Days of Horror Challenge. If you've been following along on social media, it's hashtag 31 Days of Horror Challenge. We've been following along the guide we set up earlier this month with a new theme every day, a different movie to watch. We have had so many fun, amazing entries. You guys are killing it. I love seeing all of your Halloween decorations and your TV setups. And all. Of and your- those of you that like force your wife to dress up as Jason Voorhees. Loved it. <laughs> that was great. <laughs> yeah, there's been so many amazing entries and we've seen you guys dressing up and wearing your cool shirts and stuff. There's been um, so much fun celebrating online. So thank you guys so much for participating. We still have some fun DVDs and Blu-rays and, and stickers and stuff to give away. So keep posting up up until the end of the month. Keep participating. We're going to be recommending movies, obviously, until the end on social media, on our website. And yeah, thank you guys so much. It's been so fun. Two days ago, October 20th was first time watch day. So it was it was great to see like what everybody was sort of like catching up on. Like even some people that hadn't seen Poltergeist before were like reserved it for that day. Yeah. And there were some really great obscure recommendations that were going on in the, in the hashtag. And I was really loving it. Like people were really throwing out some picks. Yeah. Like I, it was it was also really nice to see everybody checking out like saving the mortuary collection for that day. Like it's like you could have probably wanted to watch it last Thursday when it first dropped, but you're like, no, I gotta gotta wait a few days and check it out. So it was great to see everybody watching that for the first time and, and seeing the reactions. Uh, I have a VHS that I've been holding on to for a year for no particular reason. I just like, it's a it's a weird, stupid horror spoof movie from 1982 called Wacko that I almost bought at the Vinegar Syndrome booth. 
in Austin, Texas at Fantastic Fest last year. Uh, and then I just so happened later the next day to go to the VHS swap and saw it on VHS for like five bucks and I bought it there. Not because it was cheaper, but because I knew that it was like it did not deserve to be seen in 4K. <laughs> and <laughs> and uh, so, sometimes movies that are that bad look better when they are in a real grainy quality. I don't know that I'd necessarily, like, really recommend seeking this one out unless you want, like, a time capsule of 1982, which is a lot of, like, George Kennedy spying on his daughters, <laughs> which is really weird. Andrew Dice Clay's in it for some strange reason, and there's a lot of jokes about his dick. But it's it's also Friday the 13th, it's prom night, it's Halloween, like, they just slam as many horror tropes as they can into one movie, and, you know, sometimes, it's got a few, it's got a few good laughs, I'll give it that, there were a few times that I chuckled pretty hard, but uh, for the most part, it's just like a, re it's an 80s sex romp wrapped in a horror spoof. And speaking of sex romps, I, for, yeah, my, <laughs> right. for my first time watch, I watched Brian De Palma's Dress to Kill. It, uh, obviously, it was the first time watch for me, and it had Michael Caine in it. Michael Caine. <laughs> and uh, a lot of blonde hair, and some some racy mysteries. Oh, yeah, right? <laughs> yeah, another movie we watched on VHS. I gotta say, the the, the graininess of it made it trashier. And it had the warble, <laughs> like the score was really warbly. <laughs> You know, like the the VCR just couldn't quite handle the the classical. Like it was like still still killing those split screen shots though. There was some really great scenes. I actually really dug it. I I uh, I wasn't that surprised, kind of with the story, but fuck, can De Palma make a fucking lovely scene? Oh boy! <laughs> out, like quickly, just like knee jerk, off the cuff review. Th out of four, what would you give it? Uh, three and a half out of four. Ah, oh, that's a solid score. I'm happy to hear that. Yeah, the subway scene alone was just so fucking wonderful. Right? Oh, oh man. There's a they, nightmare sequence in that movie that just, like, gives me nightmares still. I think yeah. about it sometimes, and it's just chilling. It was really good. The For the first half, I was just like, this is very racy. Like, when is, oh, yeah. is this appropriate for me to watch for my Halloween watch list? <laughs> like, I was like, I hope somebody dies. Yeah, one of one of Brian De Palma's many attempts to make an, a Hollywood X-rated film. It was quite racy. And lastly, I just want to plug our merch store because I never remember to. It is store.nofspodcast.com. We have tons of Nightmare on Film Street merch. If you want to rock a t-shirt with our cartoon faces on it, if you want our logo uh, slapped on some fun stuff. We also have a bunch of horror merch, some really like subtle uh, word art and some fun retro horror movie posters. We like to keep our t-shirt line really like classic and fun and a little... Um, understated if you were so if you if you like some different unique subtle horror tees we've got you covered store.nofspodcast.com all of the money sold from t-shirts goes back into the outlet and helps us grow just like patreon so you can support us either way you can join us on patreon you can buy yourself a t-shirt it all goes back to the show and we thank you so much my favorite shirts on the store are the like to avoid fainting, keep repeating, it's only a movie, it's only a movie. Yeah. It's, that's the fucking best, right? Uh, the Jamie Lee Curtis shirt, I think, is my favorite right now. We have the Introducing Lori t-shirt of the opening credits of the original Halloween, which I fucking love. My favorite model right now is that grandma we have modeling the yes. Monster Squad shirt. Yes. She looks so fucking With cool. With her popcorn? Yeah. Oh, I love her. She looks like she was best friends with David Bowie at some point. She probably still is best friends with David Bowie. Oh, she right? just communicates through a crystal ball now. Yeah. <laughs> but that's enough from us. Let's get into it. Let's start talking. <laughs> that's enough from us. Let's hear from us again. <laughs> that's so fucking true. <laughs> what do I think I'm doing here? <laughs>
Let's get into it. Let's talk about our first movie. Let's talk about the Rocky Horror Picture Show. You've seen all kinds of movies, but you've never seen anything like the Rocky Horror Picture Show. The Rocky Horror Picture Show is wonderfully weird. They're probably foreigners with ways different than our own. It's fabulously freaky. It's a trip to transsexual Transylvania. The Rocky Horror Picture Show. Transsexual Transylvania. The story is strange. But tonight is the night that my beautiful creature is destined to be born! The songs are super. The scenery is smashing. The cast is completely crazy. Junior Chamber of Commerce, Brad. There's a mad scientist named Frank N. Furter. Come up to the lab and see what's on the slab. And Rocky, his incredible creature. the bad crowd, but it was worse than I imagined. A sinister servant named Riff Raff. I remember doing the time war. And Brad and Janet. My name's Brad Majors. Just a couple of clean-cut kids. This is my fiance, Janet Weiss. Touch it, touch it, touch it, touch me. I wanna be dirty. Eddie. Magenta. When shall we return to Transylvania, huh? Columbia. <laughs> Dr. Scott. Great Scott! So give yourself over to absolute pleasure. See the Rocky Horror Picture Show. But you've never seen anything like the Rocky Horror Picture Show. The Rocky Horror Picture Show. A different set of jaws. Rated R. The Rocky Horror Picture Show from 1975 is currently sitting at a 7.4 out of 10 on IMDb, 80% on Rotten Tomatoes. Roger Ebert gave it a 2.5 out of 4 in 1976, I think? Either that or late 75. And 3.8 out of 5 on Letterboxd. I really wanted to spend, I wish I had more time to go back and read some like early reviews of how people were receiving this movie, because all of these reviews are essentially people that have 
an appreciation for the movie already. Mm-hmm. Or, or it was like during the hype once the, the cult following started and it had the midnight screenings. Yeah. And everybody was like super involved in the the atmosphere surrounding the screenings. Yeah. But in terms of like reviews from the time, all I all I really had time to read was Roger Ebert's. And his is already from a perspective of this is a midnight movie now. Yeah. So like it's not even like this just hit theaters and this is what I think about it. Because I think like most critics kind of just ignored it. Well, and it wasn't a huge release. Like, I don't think a lot of people even, it was on anybody's radar until it became this party Friday night, 12 a.m. thing that, like, everybody in major city centers started doing. Yeah, did you read that it was on a, for a while, it was on a double bill with Phantom of the Paradise? So cool. What the fuck? Yeah, apparently it didn't do, this was before the Midnight Madness hype, so it wasn't well-received, which is insane. Which is insane, yeah. Um, but I mean, uh, you know, what's really cool about the Rocky Horror Picture Show is that it is essentially part of the foundation of what we now call, like, what we now lovingly refer to as Midnight Madness movies. Yeah, like, it started the, I would say, the the cult screenings. Like, it became, actually, there's there's so many things that can be attributed to this movie. Like, punk culture can be attributed to this movie. But, sure. like, even, it's still even kind of unheard of to have such an interactive experience surrounding a movie like i feel like there's a really untapped market there for film industries to capitalize on making events out of their films i do i have no idea why genre producers and hey if you're listening you can totally have this idea it's free to create an experience around your film release it's so funny you say that because anytime you look at the release calendar coming out it's like oh universal event film and like realistically it's a superhero movie and like you get a collector cup <laughs> it's just like a that's it. it's just a budget <laughs> yeah nobody's nobody's budget there. to recoup here from universal <laughs> but like the weird thing is like you can't you can't really manufacture that event style right that's true because that's especially with rocky horror it's something that this just like popped up organically and I guess you're right in that if it had that corporate feel, it would just be rejected. A thousand percent. By, but, but if it was, like, fun, like, I'm talking about, like, giving people shit to throw at the screen when they when they come in. Like, here's your customary gummy bears um, <laughs> when they appear at 15 minutes 32. Just hurl them at the screen and see how many you can get to stick. Yeah, good luck getting uh, good luck getting movie theater owners to, to agree to that. <laughs> True. Yeah, which is, which is funny because, like, Rocky Horror is a thousand percent, like, the party movie. That you would go see at a movie theater. And it's born out of, one, people loving it wholeheartedly. And also people kind of hating it, you know? Like like The Room. The Room is another great example of people that would go see a movie over and over and over again. Even though they did not like it. I think, I think there's a good chunk of the crowd in 1975, early 80s, that was going to see Rocky Horror. Because it was not, not bad, but just like... They could not make sense of it, and it was a great movie to watch while on drugs. Well, and also, too, and and I think you touched on something there, is that it's a rebellious movie in just its very content. Like, it's it's very sexually forward, it is gender forward, it is sexual preference. Like, there's there's so many taboos, like, not even discussed, but just, like, on display in this movie, like, just humping at the camera, that it's, it's basically like a, a join the party or boycott the party outside. Like, the thing is that it's really welcoming, you know, like, it's, it's a super fun time, it's not saying, come here and challenge your beliefs, it's just like, hey, come party with us, we're a lot of fun. And that's, I think, what's so cool about it is that not only did it invite people who were maybe 
questioning their gender identity or their sexuality to the party that they didn't know existed, but it's inviting people to almost like be allies to it in yeah. the same sense that's like, oh yeah, this is transvestite Transylvania and uh, we're having a annual jump to the left tonight if you would <laughs> like to slide to the right with us. It's it's cool too because like it came out like the, the actual play that it's based on, the Rocky Horror Show. Uh, was on the London stage in 1973. It came over to Broadway in the United States in 1975. Um, and like it was largely a success pretty well everywhere. I think London is where it had its most its biggest success. Um, but I think it was pretty respected on Broadway also in the States. So it's it's really funny that the movie didn't do very well. And I wonder if it's just because people were worried about marketing it because of how gay it is, really. Um, but what's also fun, too, is that even, like, the royal family, not all of them, the royal, part members of the royal family went to go see it in London. Wow! Yeah, we, we went to a Q&A once with, with Tim Curry, and he was talking about that, and how, like, she went outside, and everybody asked her what she thought of it, and she's like, I thought it was a good time, or something like that, right? Like That's so wonderful! <laughs> yeah, like, everybody liked it! It was great! I don't think this is true about your parents. I don't know if you've ever asked them, but like my dad. I know your family is huge my, into it. Oh yeah. yeah. Like my, my, I used to grow up hearing stories about my dad going to see this every weekend, like three times a weekend for years. Wow. It's crazy too, because while we were watching this last night, you were singing along to like the, even the obscure lyrics. I, I, there were a few times where you like snapped your head over me. I was me, just but like, I, what is I happening? suddenly got slightly embarrassed. Like, <laughs> yes, I've seen this a lot. I really like it. I think it's good. <laughs> so I had kind of a, a like a much more boring introduction to Rocky Horror in that it was a phenomena that I kind of knew about in my periphery. And then in high school, I was kind of a goth. I was kind of weird. And I knew that it was like a, a rite of passing that I, I needed to watch and I needed to like Rocky Horror Picture Show. That is definitely the, the feeling you get. Yeah. yeah. And so I watched it with like a couple friends. And this was probably like really early. Like I was probably 13, 14. Was this and, a sleepover? And I, I don't remember. Okay. But I remember being like, what the fuck is this? Yeah. And not really enjoying it because I was just like, what? Is it about what does it mean and why? Like, I remember loving the makeup and costume. Oh, yeah. I loved magenta so much. I wanted Fuck to get yeah. rid of my eyebrows. Like, the <laughs> second I want. I think that this film is solely responsible for the reason why my eyebrows do not grow back normally now. Because I way overplucked them in high school. And oh, I really? blame Rocky Horror Picture Show for making me do that. That's awesome. But, uh, yeah, like, I remember loving, like, yeah, magenta and Columbia. But... In terms of like the plot and what it was about and just just being so just wild and absurd, I had no idea. I was just what like, what is this and why do people like it? That was the biggest thing. I was just like, how do people like this? It's strange. I, I remember my first time watching it, too, because there was so much because I had heard so much about it and been told how much everybody loves it. And I didn't really know what to expect about it. Mm -hmm. I, I, I already knew a bunch of the songs before I watched the movie. I'm sure you probably knew time. Warp, I did. Like, well, yeah, I knew time. Warp yeah. It's, it. it's like everybody's Halloween party song. Right. But yeah, like the first time I was like, Oh man, this is incredible. This is amazing. But I think I was just like high on the idea that I'm finally checking off something mm -hmm. that I, I'd, I'd always been told I should check out one. I was finally old enough to watch it. I was like 13. My dad, my dad. I don't know that if he wouldn't let me watch it or if it just wasn't readily available because we got like the 25th anniversary edition or something. I feel like that movie is a weird pivot for your parents, especially because like they came into like a really religious period of their lives. Oh, we were, like, I think we were still going to church at the time that I watched this. But like, how do you like have the two things 
exists simultaneously. Like a love for this like absurdly queer out there film, and then there's like the the staunch religiousness of just like right. shut it down, of, shut it down, of Christianity. <laughs> well, and like it's 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 also like a super drug movie too. Like I remember watching this and thinking like this is a movie people watch while they're on the pot. Like I was <laughs> right. Like and and so also too, I'm like. I think my dad was doing a lot of drugs I while think, he was watching this. I think my dad is on the pot. You know, sorry, dad, if you're listening to this, but like, I do remember, I, you know, I've since found out that like he and his friends had like a small business of just like pre-rolling a whole bunch of joints and then going and just selling them to people at Rocky Horror. And oh, it was man. Just, like, that's the thing is like, you would go see like, uh, there are would... probably so many little niche businesses that were launched outside of Midnight Madness screenings. Like, here's your customary newspaper. People I... selling toast. <laughs> <laughs> I hope you noticed that we've printed the tonight's date on it if you'd like oh. to keep it after the film <laughs> so great and it yeah i don't think it was until like the second time i watched it probably the next day because that's just how i was at the time where i was like i don't think i get this movie like and like there was a period where i i i would can i would continue to watch it but i just like i don't know that i've locked into why it's so beloved yeah i i i still feel like i'm on the fringes to this movie like i appreciate it i don't know if i enjoy watching it sure i love tim curry like i would watch it again and again just to just to see tim curry do anything but yeah like i i still have this weird feeling that i don't think i like it i would still consider myself a fan of it but the weirdest thing is that i think i've heard i think i've heard you sing karaoke of rocky horror picture show <laughs> you sure have more than i more than i've heard the actual songs <laughs> <laughs> what's your favorite song because the one that the one that I, I mean, I've done I've done time warp at karaoke, which is a lot of fun because you get to do three characters essentially. You get to do Riff Raff, Magenta, and Columbia, and then I guess also like the the party dancers. Um, but like I really enjoy not even just singing on karaoke, but like I love the opening song, Science Fiction Double Feature. Honestly, I don't think I appreciated that song until I heard you <laughs> sing it because I never listened to the lyrics and and it's it's literally just an introduction into the the inspirations of the film. Like it's, yeah, yeah, it's yeah, yeah. all of these B movies and sci-fi films from like the 30s to like the 60s. Yeah. And it's just like name dropping all these inspirations and it's it's such a fun song. Well, I th when you watch it too on the theater or at home, like it's just these fucking lips and they're just so goddamn cool. Well, and there's, it, it, it's kind of such an opening to like the androgyny of the film because Riff Raff, I think is the one that's singing it, right? I think in the movie, yeah. Yeah, and the lips are definitely a woman's. Are they? I think that, the, I think they're either, I think maybe they're Columbia's or Magenta's lips. So I, mean, I know um, that in the... Broadway show it's it's not lips obviously because it's a stage mm -hmm. um it's usually the actress that's playing magenta mm -hmm. who comes out dressed as a usher she's got popcorn she's got candy that's so she's fun. got cigarettes and she's like welcoming people to the theater um and there's also a redux at the end where she kind of like sings it and lets everybody out but I don't I don't know about the movie I like the lips more, but I think that's just because it's like seared in my brain. I've seen, yeah. I've seen both. Like I've and seen it. And it's such an iconic image for Rocky Horror because like the poster is the lips. Yeah. And to open the film, yeah, it's just black and red and the teeth and. Oh man, when it freeze frames on the teeth, that's my fucking favorite. <laughs> Fuck, it's so good. 
And like the, the Blu-ray that we just bought has an alternate black and white opening, and it looks so good. It looks so fucking good. Oh, man. After we watched the movie, John was just going through to see all, all the, the special features. And at one point, I looked up, and he had everything going. Like, he was throwing digital toasts at yeah, the screen. Yeah, I could throw fucking toasts. There was a Shadow Cats performance. There was, like, sing-along little bubbles popping on the bottom. Like, yeah, there's what? a karaoke version <laughs> on the 45th anniversary. You guys gotta get it. So I was like, what is going on? The only thing is, like, I don't think our stereo is set up for 7.1, so we can't hear the riff track where like you actually hear the audience cat calling the movie as That's it's going. The- this film, I, and I was thinking that while I was watching it, this almost needs a laugh track and like a clap track. Like, oh yeah. Uh, like British television. Well, it, it, you know, as, as soon as we get our like stereo set up, it's got one. And, <laughs> and um, it's weird because like occasionally it's just cacophony. Like it's just madness and it's just people screaming but, like, especially during the songs, it's all cute, it's all great. It, and Science Fiction Double Feature is one of my favorites uh, for for the audience participation. Uh, you haven't seen this with an audience yet, have you? I've never... We gotta get you. I've never seen it on a big screen. Yeah, I've never seen it with anybody. I've only ever watched it, like, alone, being like, what is this, and how do I get myself to like it more? <laughs> I think you just gotta watch it with more people. I think that's it. Yeah. I, I, I've never, like party watch this movie like uh, we we had like we sat down and had a beer but like obviously we wanted to keep our wits about us because we were recording an episode on it but yeah I think I need to be like uh, like a little tipsy or with like a bunch of people who love it I oh, need yeah. I need more I don't know I need to give this movie more of myself <laughs> yeah I, I think you gotta give yourself <laughs> over girl yeah no like I've seen this I've seen this on stage I saw an art school do like a like a stage show of it which was really fun and I've also been to a sold out theater performance like with a shadow cast at the bottom in front of the screen and everybody cat calling it was a wild time oh that's fun it was actually in the in a mall theater in oshawa that doesn't exist anymore i remember that theater those people oh man everybody was dancing for the time warp like we were all in the aisles it was great side note though that mall theater the weirdest thing is that they just board they just put a wall (laughs) in front of it that theater is still in that mall somewhere it just there's a wall there now maybe it's full of ghosts it probably is I'm sure we've talked about it before, but I would like to go in that wall. Oh, like go discover it? Like yeah, because it was upstairs. Like you had to take an escalator to get up to it. And they just boarded up where the escalator was. Sure did. And like, what? I mean, now it might be cubicles now. Who knows? But I bet it's still there. Oh, man. The Phantom haunts it every night. What yeah. if they just like left old posters up there and there's just... Oh, my God. Yeah, like it's just a, like a time capsule from like June 2004 of movies that were coming and, and playing in the theater. We need to get in that wall, John. You're really selling me on breaking and entering. <laughs> I mean, I listened to a podcast recently that was done entirely uh, from behind the bars in prison. I think, I think you know, worst case scenario, we could keep this going. <laughs> Can you imagine if one day it's just like, you've accepted a collect call from the inmates. <laughs> we're like, so guys, we broke down the wall and we went in and, well, it's just dusty in there. <laughs> <laughs> Not worth it, but... Getting some cool safety pin tattoos right now as we speak. <laughs> uh, so Rocky Horror for me is, is a movie that I like fall in and out of love with. Like I, I always like it, but I'm I sometimes I think it's just that I've seen it so many times that I don't. There's there there was a period where I just felt like I I don't need to see this again. Like I feel that way about like Fight Club, Donnie Darko, like movies that I have just watched. 5,000 times mm-hmm. that, like, I, I'm, I'm fine. Like, to be honest, probably could have recorded this episode without even rewatching it, but I'm, I'm so glad we did. And it, you know, it might be the half a beer that I had beforehand. Could just be that it was 2 a.m., which is, like, the right time to start watching this movie, but 
I think my love for this movie is like back up. Like I, <laughs> I filled the tanks. Like we're good. Like I'm, <laughs> I'm back on board with Rocky Horror. This movie is so much fun. And like I, I know that like I, I definitely maybe like it more than you do, and that's totally fine. Uh, well, I was just gonna start naming off more songs that I like. Oh yeah, I, I kind of steamrolled <laughs> over that. What are, what are some more songs you really like? So you're gonna have to help me with titles. That's because, fine. Uh, I know that you probably know them all. Some the, of them. the first one when they're at the. The church and the wedding. Like, you mean damn it, Janet? <laughs> damn it, Janet. <laughs> that's a that's a really fun song. Yeah, and like you uh for the first time like realized that like Tim Curry is the the preacher. I'm sure I knew before, but I was just like, ah! Oh, you'd forgotten, yeah. And Tim Curry looks so young. Well it was forty five years ago, right? Wow. Like that Blu ray we got came out this year. It's the forty it's the forty fifth anniversary this year. That's actually pretty crazy. Yeah, it's nuts. They were just babies. <laughs> <laughs> But yeah, I mean, like, this movie is, it's its great that it had such a wild reception. It found its audience. It found its tribe. But it's crazy that anybody agreed to let them do it. It's like, I, I, I want to know more about the development process. Like, surely they just sold it because it was already a successful stage play. Mm-hmm. Like, we, we're just going to take this. We're just going to film it. And we'll put it out. We've already got a built-in audience. We already know people like it. But it's so gay for 1975 well, yeah, just how controversial it is and and just like blatantly controversial yeah like it leans into all of those taboos and it in this movie is just like no we're gonna we're gonna party with these things yeah it goes it goes hard on everything it really leans into everything that it's trying to say everything that it's trying to do and it's not shy about anything and Good God, is it a good fucking time. It's also crazy to me that Susan Sarandon's in it. Like, at the time, I'm sure it was like, oh, hey, this actress named Susan Sarandon plays Janet. But, like, now looking back, you're like... She's in all of my mom's favorite movies. Yeah, right? And and also Rocky Horror, which is great. (laughs) And she's wonderful, and I love her singing voice. Yeah. She adds such a Disney princess sound to all of the songs. Like, when she, she hits such high notes. Especially during Creature of the Night. Creature of the Night. Is that maybe your favorite song? I honestly, I enjoy all of the songs. That's yeah, it's hard to pick. Choosing one. a favorite, like every time something comes on, I'm like, oh no, this song is great. Yeah, I remember big chunks of the movie were like so slow for me younger, and I think it's because it has it, it's got such highs, like like uh, like time warp and sweet transvestite, and then we go into like this weird period where. Uh, he's a mad scientist and he's making a man. And then there's the I Can Make You a Man song, which is just, it felt like such a weird detour when I was first seeing it. But like, I really like those songs too. Yeah, but my my problem there is I kind of get confused on the plot in the middle of the movie. Oh, so. sure. Why not? It's a confusing movie. <laughs> um, So I find that I'm taken out of just like, oh, these songs are fun. I'll enjoy these to being like, wait, though. Eddie Meatloaf, yeah. is he a previous creation? Is so what, she's dating him, but he did. Like I'm getting caught up in like the the inner dating. Everybody's dating each other, girl. There's no, and, there's like, no boundaries. Uh, Magenta and Riff Raff are brother and sister, but they also have a secret handshake that looks a little bit too intimate for brother and sister. And then they also hate Rocky, but only when Frankenfurter's not in the room. Like I, it's they have a complicated relationship. This. Frankenstein's castle. Well, they're they're laying the foundation for they're laying the framework for for the end when there's a big reveal and like oh shit we're taking off we're going back to transsexual in the in the galaxy Transylvania because they're aliens. Yeah, I, so I get that they're so they are all aliens. Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah. no, so there are three aliens in the movie. Three aliens. 
why did they kill Frankenfurter? What did he fail at? Was the creating Rocky a side mission that he created for himself? And they're like, you're not following with the plan. Like, what was the plan? That's a great question. I don't, <laughs> I don't 100% know what the plan was. Was the floor show part of the plan? Like, were they supposed to be infiltrating humanity with their, their gay song and music? Uh, maybe they were just supposed to be there to observe. And instead, Frankenfurter was just like, you know what? I think we should fuck them. Like, I think <laughs> they all look pretty attractive. Am I right? <laughs> like, and fuck them, he does. He sure did. So, like, the Eddie thing. Like, Eddie... Eddie and whoever else came before Eddie were people that he was working on. Like, he found these people, and okay. he, I think he was tinkering with their brains to try and make them the ideal lover, the ideal companion. And he's and like, fuck it, work. I'm just gonna make an Adonis. <laughs> I'm just gonna make my own man, right? Uh, I love Meatloaf, though. Meatloaf's great. Meatloaf's great in it, yeah. It's so brief, though. I wanted more Meatloaf. Well, apparently in the stage play, the person who plays... Dr. Everett Scott and Eddie are the same person. Oh, that's wonderful. So if you saw it in Broadway, if you saw it on Broadway in 1975, Meatloaf would, Meatloaf was in the stage show, would play both oh, Eddie and Dr. Scott. I love that. Okay, that makes total sense because yeah. he's supposed to be his nephew and and he shows up right when he's dead. So yes. that's wonderful. Yeah, I love that. That's great. And like, it is weird because even now, like I've, I've seen the movie a bunch and watching it last night, I was like, no, 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 he made Eddie. Eddie's one of his creations. But then it's like, you even you had to remind me like, no, it's... It's his fucking nephew. Like, there's no way he made Yeah. Eddie. Also, so another thing that always, like, I, I enjoy, but I also don't understand at all sure. is is the criminologist. The criminal. Oh, I love the criminologist, but, though. But what is he talking about? It's the case. Like, it's. it's What's the case? The, the case of Brad and Janet. <laughs> <laughs> what is the crime? Are you kidding me? By 1975 standards, there's a whole list of crimes like they the, committed. The crime is that humanity sucks? Because that's all I learned at the very end of the film. Humanity does suck! They're not accepting! Like, it, like these people would have to live on another planet in order to live they want, the way they want to live. But Brad and Janet were so accepting. Like, they, well, were, that's, they were complete squares and they left their, like, circles. That's And that's exactly it! You know, like, it's just like, hey, you know, like, there's, like, the late 60s, 70s, like, freak-out culture where they're just, like trying to sort of shock people like that's exactly what's happening here and like they shocked these people into admitting and realizing that like oh lust lust exists within ourselves also right like they, they can go on to live a life that they wanted to live always they just kept denying it to themselves mm -hmm. and I'd, i mean like the whole... i'd love to see just like a a little blip not a, not a sequel just just there is a sequel whoa <laughs> I've never seen it. I've heard it's not great. It's are, called Shock Treatment. Are Brad and Janet in it? No, I don't think so. Oh, okay. I just want oh, to see them Maybe in their, their older life. I'm like... Yeah, I don't I don't know much about it. I, I know that a lot of people... Did they sell their their house and, and <laughs> buy a van and like paint, oh, yeah. paint free love on the van and like... They just go around spreading the word of Frankenfurter? Yeah, or just like trading corn for clothes. <laughs> Oh, man. So they become, like, really friendly, man. They they become characters in a John Waters film, I'm is what you're thinking, saying. I'm just thinking, yeah, like, old-ass hippies is basically what yeah. I predict. <laughs> I don't know. Like, I like, uh, like, I, honestly, I think the whole creature thing, like, creating your own man, and really ties into the end of the movie with, like, the don't dream it, be it kind of stuff. 
And like you, you can you can obviously see why this is such a flagship movie for like the LGBT crowd. Like it's it's super gay. It's super accepting. It's t- it's giving you all of these messages that like you're getting now, but like you definitely weren't getting in 1975. Yeah, and it's it's so celebratory of just like letting your freak flag fly. Yeah, in in all aspects, and I and I think honestly that's kind of what I was saying how as like a, a like a really goth kid growing up that I was like no I have to love this movie like I have yeah. to know and love this movie because you're already kind of an outsider like, yeah because yeah this movie is not just for the queer crowd like it's it's for anybody that doesn't fit any sort of norm mm-hmm. like and and that's that's what you get from it and it's not like it's the, the, that's one of the great things about the movie too it's not um you don't have to be a specific type of weirdo. You just gotta be, you just gotta be a weirdo. And like, or, or even not a weirdo. Like, you just be yourself is the idea, right? Yeah, because, and, and there's something so fun too when you see the, kind of the, the audience that's within the film and basically their primary thing is the time warp. They are all like such a variety of human beings yes and they're all wearing like tuxedos but they all have like crazy hair they're all wearing sunglasses you never really get to see their faces but they're i they seem very high class like a lot of them have like aristocratic hairstyles yeah and they take part in the the majority of the party yeah i think i honestly think that like they're aliens too and that I I don't. I think because they all oh. come in on their motorcycles, I think that they're kind of this flock that Frankenfurter has accumulated over his time okay. on Earth and they're they're here to just like celebrate. It's like the secret space where they could be weird. Okay. All right. That make that makes that that maybe makes them a little more sense. Like I've just always assumed that they were aliens and the idea was to infiltrate Earth. Mm-hmm. And to just be there and to not have anybody notice them, but Frankenfurter is like making too many waves. He's too weird. He's he's killing people and he's drawing too much attention. So that's why they kill him and that's why they they fly back. Also, riffraff maybe a jilted lover, right? Mm. Because Magenta even says to him too after he's killed him, like, "Why did you kill them? They didn't do anything to you." And he's like, "They never liked me." <laughs> like, <laughs> I love his hair at the end. Oh yeah, with that weird little curl <laughs> thing. Yeah, it's so great. Like, that's the other thing, is that it's, like, outside of any sort of, like, message that you're receiving from this movie, it's just also a fucking bonkers Frankenstein story, right? It is, like, Cabin in the Woods for 1975. Like, if you're a kid who grew up watching all of those Atomic-era sci-fi movies... Yeah, and you kind of just have to give credit, too, to Tim Curry for just giving this movie 130%. Yeah! Could you imagine this with anybody else? I could not. There's so many wonderful moments because I, so I grew up with Tim Curry elsewhere and, and knew and loved Tim Curry. And then when I saw this, was just like, holy shit, he's been cool forever. Right? Just like from day one. Plot wise though, you're right. It really plays by its own rules. And that's something that you really got to just accept um otherwise you're gonna spend the whole time thinking like this isn't like a normal movie yeah because it's really just like frankenfurter leads you into a different segment of the movie like he's just like and now if you'll follow me upstairs i'm making a man (laughs) and then he's just like and now after i've turned you all into medusa stones we're gonna have our floor show and like he he presents different set pieces and and weird segments of the movie in so much so that you're just like, yeah, we're just going to go with it. Like, oh, he pulled this lever and now there's a pool there. And I'm yep. like, okay. Yep. Oh, I guess we ate Eddie. That's fine. Whatever. Did they eat him? They, they totally ate Eddie. Okay. Are you kidding me? They had time to make. 
make him a table. <laughs> <laughs> they turned him into a fucking table and roasted him. That's the other thing, right? I will say, so one of my favorite moments that's not a musical number is I absolutely love Magenta and Columbia hanging out oh yeah in their bedroom yeah, yeah, yeah just like doing their nails and shit oh i would love to see that as a stage play just for like a 20 minute segment they're just hanging out at the edge of the scene just like <laughs> painting their nails and like watching tv and i want to hang out with them yeah like the best part of that creature of the night song is them spying on janet yes and i love when dr scott shows up and they turn that magnet on to like pull him to the laboratory oh and and he, he just like wheels ar- around them yes he goes in and around the room and they're just like huh <laughs> yeah I, I could i could feel it while we were watching that movie last night too that you really want frankenfurter's jacket from that scene oh my god he's got so many pins on yeah, it yeah he's got like a fucking scorpio rising style biker jacket on honestly columbia wearing the the disney mickey ears is just oh, like right 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 yes <laughs> I, we need to make it a regular fashion thing we need to make it acceptable for me where for me to wear my mickey ears whenever the fuck i want because i have them i wear them around the house i would like to leave the house in them <laughs> I want. I really wonder what the end of this looked like on stage. Like, I'm sure they they kill Frankenfurter and they take off back home to their other planet. But specifically, it's the uh, like I'm going home song, mm-hmm. where all of a sudden there's an audience that he's singing to, um, which is it's it's really great. Like it's it's like these ghosts of people, and then. Um, at the end, when he looks back and they're all gone, yeah, there's this real sad, dread-filled moment, kind of. It's weird to see a character, too, like Frankenfurter, who is just so filled with ecstasy the whole movie, kind of just, like, accept his death. It's crazy. There's something, like, you you really trust him throughout this movie to be the showman and yeah. to, to keep your energy high throughout all of this crazy zaniness. And when he kind of accepts that they're just going to laser beam him, it's it's weirdly dark. It's very sad. Totally, yeah. He's, like... Too strange to live, too rare to die, right? Oh. <laughs> oh, John. And then, like, classic Frankenstein style, like, the creature can't handle that his creator's dead. His lover, who maybe also chains him to the bed. Like, the relationship there is odd. <laughs> uh, I, I, he's only seven hours old. He's experienced too much in one evening. He just, like, throws him on his back. Like and he's King climbing. Kong. Yeah, and he's climbing up the fucking RKO tower. Oh, it's great. It's real good. And, like, the lasers are bouncing off his fucking chest and <laughs> Because shit. he's just too strong. <laughs> Man, I like this ending a lot. It's so great. It's wild. It, I I would love to watch this in a program, like, in a block with the Universal Monster movies and shit. It, I think it would fit real well. Like, obviously, it's riffing on all of them. But it had it would have to come on at a delirious hour. Oh, yeah. Like, you've watched six, and it's, like, four in the morning, and then the yeah. lips pop up on screen. You're just like, yes. well, I guess I'm staying. <laughs> this, this would be your perfect film to put on. And if you were going to, like, a 24-hour marathon block, and you didn't know what any of the movies were, and, like, you knew the audience was getting tired and about to fall asleep, this would keep everybody back up and just, like, put the energy back in. I think it's just a perfect Halloween movie. I think it's a lot of fun. And it's probably just because it's it's got great songs. It's weird as fuck. It's it's nothing but wall-to-wall costuming. And um, it's just got a fun vibe. Yeah, and it's su- surprisingly, like, bright and vibrant for a movie that's that takes place in, like, a creepy, dark castle. Yeah. And, like, they're oh, just... Oh, fuck that castle. It's like, so good. <laughs> and it's just like you, you just opened a door into a party. We got a high five for not singing along while recording this podcast, that's real hard to do. I'm very proud of it. Real us. hard. I, for, like, just you mentioning the castle, I, I almost, like, like, there's a lot. You know, it's just, 
<laughs> I, I like all of the small songs in this movie, too. Like, honestly, the, the There's a Light song where they see the castle for the oh, first time. Oh, it's so good. Especially when Riff Raff comes in and he's just, like, singing out of the window oh, at the moon. Oh, it's so good. Man, I love it. I love the lyrics in that one, too. Just the description of coming upon the castle that yeah. um, Susan Sarandon sings is just so, like lyrically beautiful and yeah, you're just you got like, the thunderstorm in the background and like the violins are just like quiet there the bass is driving it it's it's like you're you're a little scared but you're eager although you're interested I, I secretly hate watching that scene because i feel so bad for the actors because they are just getting pounded with rain like, and it's so fucking cold yeah you, can, like, you see, can see their breath yeah you can see all their breath they are soaking wet poor susan sarandon can't keep her eyes open because the rain is like hitting her in the <laughs> face like i just feel so bad for them apparently she caught pneumonia during filming and they wow. Yeah, like, it was, like, wet and cold when they were filming it. Damn. And, uh, I mean, it looks wonderful, though. So I guess, like, last question. If you had to do a Halloween costume this year, who are you going out as from Rocky Horror? Ooh, I would dress up as any single character in this movie. Oh, yeah. Rocky would be a fun character. Because <laughs> <laughs> you could also double as, like, the ch- one of the children from The Damned. Um, <laughs> all right, yeah, all right. But I would 100% do Magenta. But I would like to do Magenta as... The Bride of Frankenstein, like when she's oh in, at the end, in Alien yeah, mode. right, yeah. Oh man, if we could just get our hands on one of those like weird outfits and like that crazy like Triton gun that he's got, <laughs> that'd be cool. It'd be yeah, a thousand percent that. Oh my god, and then I could style your hair, and you could be riff raff, and we could give you that stupid ponytail. I mean, I'm into it. I was gonna it say it is long enough. You do have quarantine hair right now. Yeah, and it's also bald on the top. I could do regular riff raff. Like it's fine. It's apples no not yet (laughs) we'll see how it looks next halloween (gasps) i think you know like there's oh man there's a lot of. i would love to do your makeup as frankenfurter the makeup is so good but if you're gonna do it you gotta commit to the clothes and i just just too much beard though uh, yeah too much beard um it'd be fun maybe to do we could put the beard in a little corset (laughs) (laughs) i was gonna say it'd be fun to do eddie because he's got a saxophone he's got a motorcycle he's got a scar across his head or alternatively dinner eddie and so, like, you've got, like, your Ooh. your guts are out a little bit. Your, your one hand's really big for no reason. I don't know if you saw that. Like, his <laughs> hand is just, like, disproportionate to the rest of his body inside that, that, that glass coffin table. Oh, man. This movie's great. What's your rating, Kim? Um, I'm going to give Rocky Horror a three out of four. I'm giving Rocky Horror a f- four out of four. I was like, I, like before we sat down, I'm like, 3.75, but I've talked myself up. <laughs> no, you you know what, though? Like, we've always rated based on enjoyment, and I could feel enjoyment radiating off you while we watched it. I was, I, 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 I feel like. I'm so happy you, that I had a good time watching it this time. You really tried not to sing, and you still sing. <laughs> I sing a, a lot. A, a, a little bit. <laughs> and, I mean, hey, you were there, too. You sang some. I sang a little bit. I heard it. <laughs> Moving on, let's talk about another wild-ass musical. Another wild-ass musical. Let's talk about Brian De Palma's Phantom of the Paradise. 20th Century Fox presents Phantom of the Paradise, a gothic horror story. What was that? A beautiful love story. A cinematic odyssey through the rock universe. From Greece to glitter and beyond. The story of a sound, the man who created it, the girl who sang it. 
the monster who stole it, and the phantom who haunts the paradise, the ultimate rock palace. Phantom of the Paradise. My music is for Phoenix. Only she can sing it. Anyone else that tries, dies. Phoenix. Phoenix. Well, you told me one time that you'd be somebody, that you weren't working just to survive. B. And you better get yourself a castrato for this. Paul Williams as Swan. And the angels that defeated them. I want you to stop terrorizing the paradise and rewrite your cantata. And the Phantom. The paradise. There really is the Phantom, 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 Phantom. Phantom of the Paradise from 1974 is currently sitting at a 7.4 out of 10 on IMDb, 85% on Rotten Tomatoes, 67 on Metacritic, and 4 out of 5 on Letterboxd. Woo! Yeah, and you know, much like uh, the Rocky Horror Picture Show. All more recent reviews. Another movie that was mostly, I don't want to say ignored, but just flopped when it originally came out. Yeah, I'm seeing a pattern that people are just like not into musicals right away, that they need to like warm up to them. Or I think what really happens is you get infected with the music and then you've seen the film once. And this is, I would say this happens pretty much with me with any musical. So maybe I'm just speaking for myself. But the songs get stuck in your head and then you're singing them for weeks on end and finally you're like, I gotta watch that damn movie God again. damn it. And I guess you... this is my favorite movie now. <laughs> and then you fall in love with it because you have to keep watching it because you can't get the damn songs out of your head. I mean, I'll come right out and say like, I like the songs in Phantom of the Paradise way more than the Rocky Horror Picture Show. The songs in Phantom are so wonderful. They're fucking incredible, right? So good. And also just like, okay, I'll, don't get me wrong. The songs in the Rocky Horror Picture Show are more fun, but Phantom, I don't know. Like Phantom is, uh, ugh. So, <laughs> <laughs> I, fa- yeah, we are also relatively new to Phantom of the Paradise. We only watched it for the first time maybe two years ago, maybe even less than two years ago mm-hmm. at this point, and it has just taken over our lives. Yeah, we have this weird ability to discover something at the perfect time, and it's it's just so surreal how it happened. We discovered Phantom of the Paradise. We watched it randomly one evening, and then I think that weekend the soundtrack was on both of our phones. Oh yeah, and we just went- happened to find a, a copy of it at a thrift store in like the junk final section. Yeah, and we went on a road trip and we listened to it across the country. We were it was just on repeat, and then that same road trip it also happened to be a huge anniversary for the film, and we got to see. It's on the big screen several times. Yeah, in 2019. 2019 was a big year for Phantom. I mean, like, 40th anniversary. Just the same as Rocky Horror is celebrating now, unfortunately. You know, there would be more events for Rocky Horror if we weren't in Oh, the there would be quarantine. one in every city. Yeah. And, we, you know, we interviewed Paul Williams. We went to... We, one of the screenings we went to was, like, an unlicensed fan cut of the movie. Because, I, I don't know if you know this, the... 
there's a record label at the center of this movie called Swan Records. Sorry, it's called Death Records. It was originally Swan Song Records, um, but Led Zeppelin filed a lawsuit against it because they own Swan Song Records, and it was just a big deal. So there's a lot of there's a lot of mid seventies photoshopping in the movie that completely blocks out any mention of Swan Song. It's kind of wonderful. It's kind of great, but like we went to a screening where they had like the original like negatives from the camera, and they like they fully restored it, and you were able to see Swan Song all over the goddamn place, which was it's so funny. What the best part about that though is that we were seeing it. There were a bunch of super fans there. Yeah, oh which yeah. Which we'll we'll get into. There were a bunch of super fans there, but they had never seen it, and just hearing them ooh and all ah, like every time it came up was wonderful. Well, because these people had seen the movie. They've been watching this movie. I don't know every week since they were kids, and you could hear them just gasp just at the sight of a frame that was include that not included in a mo- previous <laughs> edition of the film that they've seen. We're talking, of course, about the the Peggers, the Winnipeggers, because. Phantom of the Paradise pretty much flopped everywhere, except for some unexplained reason, Winnipeg, Canada, and uh, and I think a small market in France also. Winnipeg has claimed this movie as their own. <laughs> it is it is a Winnipeg film. <laughs> Sorry, France. <laughs> and there's there's also a documentary that I think is coming out soon. I hope called The Phantom of Winnipeg, uh, specifically about the fandom around this movie. And so the, the people featured in that documentary, the people that have been hosting Phantom of the Paradise events for the last few years and just like be in love with this movie for years, were also there, and they are a hoot. Yeah, it was such a blast to see them. It was great, too, because we were at the peak of our our newly discovered fandom for the film, and we got to celebrate with all of these lifelong fans and yeah. the creators. I mean, the fact that we got to meet Paul Williams was pretty fucking amazing. And it's it's great, too, just to have people who aren't like, what do you mean this is like your third time seeing Phantom of the Paradise? They're like, oh, my God, I'm so jealous of you right <laughs> now that like you're like new to this. That was nice. Well, and I think it's also too really validating for them. They're just like, look at these people just discovered it and love right? it as much as we Even do. the young kids like it. <laughs> Which is always really fun. That's the great thing about welcoming fandoms is just how much celebrating happens, especially like, you know, before the screening, like waiting in line and afterwards. Oh, you just chatting and, about the movie? Oh, just so much. Just, there was just so much joy and happiness surrounding seeing this movie on the big screen that cannot be replicated. Oh, yeah. If we had to discover this movie a year later, it would have been, been so sad. <laughs> not nearly as exciting. Yeah, because the, the restoration screenings are not always like our top priority when we go to film festivals. So we would have maybe skipped it and then realized that we were dummies. I have, uh, I, I don't know what it is about Phantom of the Paradise. It is real weird when you look at it. You're, like, you're trying to figure out whether or not you want to watch it, like it, it, whether it's going to be something you like. Because for years, people have told us to watch it. I know. I've seen it spoofed on TV shows. Even The Simpsons did a little gag about it in a Treehouse of Horror episode. And for whatever reason, I was like, I don't know. Like, even though it's a Brian De Palma movie, I don't know. It doesn't really look like my bag. I'll get to it eventually. Yeah, for me, it just didn't seem directly spooky enough <laughs> yeah. to entice me. You know what I mean? Like, I... You're like, I guess he's a cool-looking raven there was, thing. Yeah, yeah, there was too much bird stuff. Like, it had to been, like, ghosts and bats. I would have been in on it. But, yeah. yeah, I was just like, I don't know if this is for me. And I was fucking wrong. Right? Don't you feel like... It, it's it's weird to say, like, this is the greatest movie I've ever seen, but because it's only been, it's like, such a short period. But, like, don't you feel like a portion of your DNA is, like, now Phantom of the Paradise? <laughs> I have introduced friends to this movie who I I think had the same idea I had that it's like maybe not for them. 
And they've come back and said, like, oh my god, this is fucking amazing. I need more movies like this. And, like, the real sad part is that there aren't. It's hard to recommend more movies like Phantom of the Paradise. It is so unique. Yeah, I mean, and that's kind of why we're we're pairing Rocky Horror and Phantom of the Paradise together in this episode because they are kind of anomalies. Yeah. In that, I guess they're similar, but only in their zaniness. Yeah, like, I, <laughs> the, the answer for both, like, you want more movies like Rocky Horror or you want more movies like Phantom of the Paradise, it's just recommend the other movie. Yeah, like, but Fingers it's like, crossed they haven't seen that one. This isn't really like it, but it's like it. Yeah. <laughs> If you've never seen it, please, for the love of God, stop this podcast. Go seek it out. It's If in the States, I think it might still be available on Shudder. We picked up a Blu-ray copy from Scream Factory. It's still in print, so it's it's available. You can get it. And, um, you know, if, if you need more of a sell, I, I, I'd say that the thing I always tell people is that it feels, because there's lots of live performances in the movie, it feels like an Alice Cooper concert that you never went to. Yeah, the, there's something so interesting too about the songs in this film that they all of the songs in the movie are performances. Yeah. It's less like Grease where they just break into song and more like a stage performance. Like we are watching a bunch of musicians performing the musical numbers. And it has a lot to say about the music industry or even just like the entertainment industry. It's so good. Yeah. Specifically because there's one song that shows up at the beginning by our lead character, Winslow. Uh, He's writing a cantata about Faust and, you know, Swan, the big evil record producer who's just essentially Phil Spector, I think, is kind of what they're going for. Uh, He hears the song, loves it, essentially steals it, and then just continues to, like, bastardize it throughout the movie. So you you will continue to hear new songs... But they are all echoes of that original song. Mm-hmm. Like I'd say at, at least half the soundtrack is the same song, just done differently. Yeah, and there's a really, probably my favorite moment of the film is actually when Swan is trying to audition somebody to perform the cantata because he's opening this grand club called The Paradise. Yeah. Are you talking specifically about that scene where he's in his office and everything is just like a black void? Yes, but in the scene, as they're auditioning, it's like a different type of vocal group, each phrase. So each one gets a verse of the song and they literally turn a light on and a light off and present a new artist. And the song goes through so many genres of music in like 45 seconds it's just insane because they all sound good. Every single one of them. It sounds good as a, it sounds good as a country song. It sounds good as a folk song. It sounds good as an R and B song. Yeah, and then of course he he settles on like the one guy who who can't hit a note, doesn't know how to play his own guitar, and is like more interested in flexing his muscles and looking great than actually performing properly. Because he's glam rock. Oh, I'm not saying he wasn't the right choice. Fucking beef is the man in this movie. We almost framed a picture of Beef to put in our RV. Such was our love for this guy. (laughs) And I have to admit, too, I I don't think I understood... I don't think I cared about the plot of this film the first two times I watched it. The music is... It's also just gorgeous to look at, but like the music is so incredible. I think it took me the third watch until I understood any of the actual plot. Wow. And I was kind of, especially the first time, I was kind of indifferent to the plot. I was just enjoying the music. I was enjoying the spectacle. That's kind of how you watch musicals, right? And then as soon as Beef showed up, I was like, (laughs) I had an about face watching this movie that I was like, 
is this my new favorite movie? Have I been underestimating this film? And then they fucking show up and it's like their announcement to the world is like the cabinet of Dr. Kilgari. Oh my God. When he comes out of the coffin and he does that face. This, You know, another thing about like mainline in the universe, didn't we watch this for the first time like right before putting out our Dr. Kilgari episode? Oh my God. The whole first Paradise show with the, the Calgary theming is fucking perfection. It's insane. It, it, and you said it exactly right when you said that it was like an Alice Cooper show because there's such a performance and a spectacle about it. And the idea of making this rock star out yeah. of the fans yes. and it's like part of you is becoming this music. Like it's just such a fun look, I guess, fun and dark look at the music industry because it's so corrupt and about creating as much basically monetary gain as possible oh yeah but it's also even eviler than that (laughs) (laughs) yeah like in that performance they are um they you know much like rocky horror picture show they are making a person they are stitching together like a frankenstein they are gonna make the new rock star that is comprised of all the good parts of you so they go out into the audience and their guitars have knives on the end of them and they're chopping off hands and taking legs and a torso from this guy and I won't lie, the first time we watched it, I was so engrossed in what was happening in that stage performance that when a girl reached her hand up and they cut it off, I guess <laughs> I remember that. And I remember thinking I was so dumb for falling for it because it's obviously, it's a gag, right? It's all just part of the stage show. It's like Alice Cooper and then they, they bring the body parts back to And a, it's horrible puppets. Like. Yeah, like that's, well, I mean, after that first one, it is all very obvious. But for whatever reason, like the first time around, I was like, oh man, like anything goes, they're actually cutting her hands off but even the the supporting band the original band who was supposed to open the paradise but winslow the composer actually kills them they are so much fun yeah. they're they're a completely different side of the coin like beef is this glam rock edgy frankenstein character and the juicy fruits are like the bgs yeah they're like shanana they're like that nostalgic resurgence of the 70s that's that, that, that they were the the high school band in greece actually shanana and like the 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 juicy fruits evolve to the beach bums, which are more like the beach boys, and then and then they're the undead, the backing band for fucking beef. Man, it's so good. It's so, and it's all played by the same actors too. They're incredible. It's so good. All of the music is so perfect to what it's trying to achieve, and there's so many different styles of music in the in the soundtrack. Yeah. It. It almost should not go together. Like yeah. Jessica Harper's songs, at first I, I didn't love them as much because they're they're a lot more ballady, they're a lot more emotional and heartfelt and very simple. But like, she can fucking sing. Yeah, and they really fucking work. They and, land so hard. Yeah, and everybody, everyone's vocals are amazing. And and just how seamlessly they, they, they go from like 50s bebop song to sad ballad to rock and roll. Like, it, it's... It's a crazy musical. And it's it's all thanks, really, to Paul Williams, the composer who put all the music and the lyrics together for the movie. He also plays Swan. He's the villain in the movie. You definitely know his music if you don't know the name. He worked with Daft Punk on their most recent record. He He's a very sweet man. We talked to him. We interviewed oh, he, him for Fantasia. He's so lovely. And it was the greatest birthday I've ever had. <laughs> uh, but Winslow, who becomes the Phantom, has such a tragic story. And it's just, it's done so fucking well. They steal his music out from underneath him. When he tries to 
not necessarily like get his music back, but like work with Swan. He gets kicked out. He gets framed. He goes to jail, which I gotta say, uh, two things are so incredible about that. One, the shot where like just the quick fucking shot of him going like, my I've been framed and Swan has stolen my music is just like one of the greatest shots I've ever seen in my entire life. He's got this judge. It's like a hundred feet tall standing over top of him in pitch blackness. And he's just like right in front of the screen, frantically waving his arms. And then we cut to Sing Sing. Like, is there ever a better prison to go to <laughs> in a musical than Sing Sing? <laughs> Damn. He even hears his own fucking music on the radio in that prison. A prison that is privately owned by Swan himself. Yeah, what Winslow goes through to become the Phantom is it happens so quickly. And this film is very efficient at just getting getting you from one musical number to another musical number. But once he breaks out of Sing Sing, he goes to the actual record company to stop. Destroy the records, yeah. Yeah, and in that process, he gets, like, melted face. Yeah, he accidentally falls into the record press, and like, which is so fucking awful, too, because it's already music that they've stolen from him, and now it's deformed him. It's printed onto his face. Yeah, and, like, that's how he becomes the Phantom. Like, he doesn't have acid thrown in his face, or he's not just, like, born with some weird deformity. He... He's mutilated by his own music. And what's what's kind of caused this entire thing is the fact that his music is being mutilated. It's yeah. just this wonderful mirroring. It's such an interesting way to adapt the Phantom of the Opera into a music label, corporate evil and greed type of story. Don't you fucking love that scene where we're like killer POV in Winslow's eyes? Oh, I love and it. And he's all deformed. He's like, <sighs> and he's just like trying to like sneak into the paradise. And he, he finally steals that fucking phantom mask that he wears throughout the rest of the movie. Uh, it was fun, too, because last night we watched a little featurette with Brian De Palma. And he was talking about that. He was like, I did the, you know, like the classic contrived um, <laughs> slasher villain shot. <laughs> Which is funny, too, because later on he, he, he did the same thing in the opening of Blowout. Which and it's is, so good, and it's but it's spoofing bad <laughs> horror movies, right? And like the guy, the director of that, the shitty director of that movie is Swan's assistant, like the uh, oh, the greasy talent agent. Oh, cool! Yeah, he's kind of a slime ball. Super slime ball. One of my other favorite elements of this movie is that it isn't just a Phantom of the Opera riff. There's there's a bunch of different things. You got Faust as the musical and the main story, and then there's also a portrait of Dorian Gray aspect Fuck to yeah, this there movie is. that is so fucking wonderful and creepy and adds a level of supernatural to the film that is so, so creepy. Yeah, and it's completely unexpected. I did not see that coming at all when we first watched this. And it's such a, it's such a weird layer to add on to it because we, we eventually learn... Well, first off, like you think he's just an evil son of a bitch. Swan makes Winslow sign a contract in blood. And you're like, ah, of course, so funny. It's... Music producers are evil. Right? Yeah, but you find out later that he literally has signed over his soul. Because... Like he's evil evil, not he... just business evil. Yeah, because the, the, like, Winslow as the Phantom tries to kill himself after Swan has taken... Everything. Well, everything. And Phoenix. He's taken Phoenix away from him, the one person who could be his voice again and sing his music. And he can't die. Swan basically says, like, you you fool. Like, you're under contract. I own you. You you gave up your right to rest in peace oh, when you signed that fucking contract. Such a good line. And, and, and then we discover how crazy Supernatural is happening because Swan... 
because Winslow tries to stab Swan in the heart, and he goes, don't you understand? I'm, I'm under, under contract, contract too. <laughs> Fuck yes. Oh, it's so good. Oh, man. And then we get to see, actually, the almost like in a flashback because Swan keeps tapes of everything. Yeah. They, does he have to keep tapes of everything or is I, he just vain? I oh, it, I think it's a combination of both right. because when he, so when he actually signs over his soul to do this like evil forever bidding, he's about to commit suicide. He was a successful music creator, producer, whatever. Yeah. And I think his vanity is causing him. Because yeah, he's like, I'm getting old. He's like, <laughs> definitely maybe 30. I know. And the devil actually appears to him as himself. In a mirror, Which right? for somebody who's a narcissist and you're promising them yeah. eternal like gratification via their narcissism, it's so fucking perfect. Yeah, he tells him that he has to keep the tape. Like, if the tape is destroyed, you're destroyed. Uh, so, like, the portrait of Dorian Gray almost. Like, the, the image on the tape will continue to degrade, uh, but you will remain young forever. And we even see that, because there's a, there's a few scenes where Swan is watching the tape back, and we and don't see it. he sounds awful. Yeah, we don't see it, but he's, his voice is like this now. <laughs> it's like, okay, okay. Well, and there's some vague moments, too, where he refuses to be on camera, and they yeah. they, they always Oh, sh- that's like, right, because like, if somebody got a photo of him, yeah, he would look awful. exactly. Ooh, I didn't... I honestly never thought of that. Yeah. I'm a dumbass. Wow. (laughs) That's great. It's why he's wearing the mask in the finale. Yeah, that totally makes sense. Oh, boy. All right. Well, we'll get to that finale eventually. But (laughs) the the other thing that that comes up during that suicide, too, is um, when he's talking to his reflection in the mirror. By the way, love that he's got a two camera set up for his own suicide. Like, he (laughs) got to get coverage. Got to get those angles, right? Um, The devil, he says to him, like, yeah, man, but I'm stoned. Like, how do I even know if this is actually happening? He goes, well, if it's not real, then it doesn't matter anyway. Just go ahead and sign. What difference does it make, right? Which, not that that's the first time it's mentioned, but brings back the idea of drug real versus real real. Oh man, I love that idea. Yeah, there's there's a moment when Beef is spooked by the Phantom, like psycho style. Oh man, Beef is just gold. Everything Beef does is great. Everything Beef does is incredible. Oh, Beef in the shower, Beef with his curlers, Beef with his like antler belt. With his antler belt. <laughs> Anyway, he, the Phantom spooks him off. He grabs his guitars. He's running out of there. He's wearing his Santa Claus suit outfit. And uh, he gets stopped by the promoter, right? And the promoter says, like, you don't fucking know what you're talking about. You're, you know, you're just, like, coked up. You're on speed. And he's like, what are you even talking about? You know, you're the one pushing this stuff. I'm actually the one taking it. I know the difference between real, real and drug real. I love that. It's so great. I know I already said it was good like 30 seconds ago. But you see it echoed in the rest of the movie because when we find out that Swan has gotten Phoenix to sign the contract, she is drugged out of her mind. Oh, yeah. She has no awareness. She's just giggling and like, ew, blood. Yeah, and and two, like... The chaos and the tragedy of the end of the movie, she we, we see it a lot through her, and she has no idea what's going on. Like, it seems like she's in a hallucination, but it's very real, and that's haunting to look at, too. And, oh man, there's, there's, there's a lot to sort of unpack in the real real versus drug real stuff, because I think it also taps into what is entertainment versus reality. And, like, you, you will argue, I guess, that the entertainment, whether it's live on stage, on television, or on your radio, is the drug for the masses, in a way. Mm-hmm. And the people around don't know 
that what they're watching is an actual murder and suicide. And they're all up on stage, dancing around, enjoying it, getting, like, right up close. Like, well, because they're used to the spectacle. Yeah, and, like, they have, they, they just watched Beef die yesterday. They definitely know he's dead, though, because when he, they, they're carrying his body out of the stadium, they're all chanting, Beef, Beef, Beef. On the other hand, now I think about it, maybe they thought that was part of the show, too. Yeah, who knows? Right? And... This is something that could not be more relevant now, I think. Like, it's it's almost like this was a warning sign of what entertainment was going to become. Like, they already saw that people were being, I guess, desensitized, for lack of a better word. But there's no separation between reality and entertainment. And the, the chaos at the, the at the end, like the wedding and all of the, the people in the audience that are just flooding the stage, dancing around, literally playing in Winslow's blood and like getting inches away from his face to watch the performance of him die. Yeah. And then just like reveling in it or being bored once it's over, like, oh, he's dead. Okay. And then they move on and they start dancing and stuff. Well, because then you realize the problem isn't that swan created this it's that there is like a hunger and a demand for it yeah so that like now that swan is gone something else is going to replace what he's built it's never gonna go away yeah it's a very dark ending for a musical dark ending yeah and i mean you can watch it and kind of not give yourself over to those ideas i mean you just have to like not allow the the darkness of the finale to affect you because i mean in a sense it's kind of supposed to be a happy ending Winslow dies. It's a tragedy for Winslow, but he's always been this tragic character. He saves Phoenix. But what's so sad is that she has no idea who he is, what's going on, until it's too late. Like, even as he's got his mask off and he's trying to, like, warn her or tell her something, because he destroys the tape that contains, we'll say, Swan's soul. And so now Swan is, like, old and decrepit and um, human again. Winslow is able to stab him, kill him, but that opens the wound back up on that that Winslow created when he stabbed himself in the heart. And so he's dying as Swan is dying, uh, as as Phoenix is trying to like get away and get to safety, and he's he's reaching out to her, and she's just screaming because all she sees is this monster, until he dies, and the 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 deformed part of his face is is left on the ground, and she can see that it's Winslow. And it's like right before the credit, she goes, oh, my God, Winslow. Like she she finally realizes what this was all about. That's tragedy right there. Oh, man, Ooh, it's so that's, dark. That's my brand of tragedy. <laughs> I love it. It's so Oscar Wilde, I, which is no surprise given how much Dorian Gray stuff we have. But the music is lovely. Yeah. So you know, <laughs> let's come back to the stuff that's good about it, I guess. Right. What's your favorite song? Oh, my God. I'm fucking making you choose. I, I think I'm going to say Life at Last. And I'm probably going with somebody like you. And I think that the, and which comes right before Life at Last. Yeah. Oh, it's so hard. <laughs> yeah, but like Beef's performance in Life at Last is so good. insane, right? So good. I, I honestly wish Beef survived longer so we could just have more iterations of him singing some of the versions of the song. Because what happens in in the film is that Winslow is writing the the cantata for who he thinks is Phoenix, but he's actually writing it for Beef. Yeah. And so there's some some little clips of Beef singing, trying to sing the parts of the song. But it's in a completely different register. Yeah. I I want to hear more of, of like what that the, the the opera would have sounded like with with just Beef. Yeah. You know what's nuts is that the the opening night of the Paradise, they are beginning the, the music of Faust. 
right? They don't get all the way through it because Beef dies. Uh, Swan sends Phoenix out to sort of, like, calm the audience down. And now she's the star. And literally the next night is when they're when they're going back to finish the Faust cantata. And we've already got so much havoc and chaos. Like, it seems like for the level of, of participation that that audience is in, like, they've become a cult for Swan. Like, this, this, I, I would have expected the Paradise to have been open for months. Also, the fact that within less than 12 hours, we've decided that Phoenix is the new star, Phoenix is going to marry me, and then, I'm, and then I'm going to have her assassinated right after we get married <laughs> on live television. Yeah, some of the motivations of Swan are a little, like, quick and loose but like it's <laughs> it's fine it leads to beef it leads to the the finale it leads to wonderful songs i mean it's no surprise he literally shows up at one point to winslow saying wake up it's thursday here's breakfast and he just dumps like a handful of pills on his desk ah the music industry <laughs> okay I have, I have a question for you please we talked about what costumes we would we would have done for the rocky horror picture show oh you cannot choose beef because oh. beef's a given Everybody chooses Everybody beef. wants to be beef. Back up. Yeah. Second to beef. Mm-hmm. What character would you dress up as? Probably one of the undead. Oh, absolutely. Because he's got that fucking like dagger microphone too. But I mean, one of the juicy fruits, because they have their dark when they're singing the, the in the car song. Oh, sure. And how they still have their dark hair and they have like shitty blonde wigs on and yeah. you can see the dark hair underneath. Love I it. love that. Man, that whole sequence is great. We didn't even talk about how it's a split screen sequence where we see the Phantom put a bomb in a fake car. Oh, it's car. so good. And, and we're it's just, so De Palma. <laughs> it's so De Palma, right? Oh, man. I really like Brian De Palma a lot. I can't believe it took us so long to see this. I can't believe he did a musical. So weird, right? It's so odd. To be perfectly honest, it's almost weird to call it a musical. Like, it's a rock opera, which the 70s loved a rock opera. But it's probably the only one I've seen that really justifies the use of the music. Like, Rocky Horror Picture Show is a filmed version of a stage play. Yeah. Tommy, the Who thing, is just like a real long, weird acid trip movie. I guess the Beatles' Yellow Submarine, not necessarily a rock opera, but is also kind of just a long music video. Like, this at least integrates the music industry and live performances and the evolution of a song and how things can get stolen. Yeah, and there's nothing meta about the music in this film. In most musicals, you, the audience, are hearing song, but you're assuming that the characters are having normal conversations. Like, in Greece, in Rocky Horror Picture Show, they're doing their I Want songs, and they're, yeah. and they're talking to each other through song. Yeah. But in this, the actual characters are hearing the songs you're hearing. They're musicians, yeah. And I can't stress enough how incredible the music is like not even just the music but the lyrics uh like some of the softer songs that you would normally like like you would maybe even think to skip over if you're listening to the album um just the ballads themselves are so poetic like there's literally a song about what it's like to be swan and to be eternal and to be bored and like what a what an interesting character to put right at the world right at the center of a world that is just destroying humanity with entertainment so great that is something that a bored person would create though oh yeah like a, it's almost like a, a bored god creating a world of chaos just so you have something to watch yeah i mean like even in even in that interview that uh, that we watched with brian de palma he was talking about uh, when people become powerful like true power truly powerful that essentially what they do is they just they tailor the experience that they go through day to day to be the world that they want to see Classic example would be like, oh, you're surrounded by yes men. Nobody ever tells you no, uh, which I guess you'd see with like some 
you know, jerk Hollywood star or something. But Swan is literally creating a circus around him, and that's how he wants the world to be. Mm-hmm. Like, they're, the, he's got a gigantic bed full of women that he can just, like, flop into at, any, at, a, at a drop of a hat. Which is a pretty dark moment in the movie, too, because Jessica Harper shows up. She's just trying to audition to be one of Swan's backup singers. And, like, you literally see as the doors are closing that she's thrown on, like, a casting couch and the talent agent is jumping on top of her. There's a lot of dark shit in this movie for how fun it is. Yeah, like, they really hit some of the, like, the extreme lows of the industry. Yeah, it's nuts. And, like... The craziest thing is that, like, this is the tip of the iceberg for me. Like, there's there's even more that we can talk about. Like, I love how many scenes are just in, like, a black abyss. Have you noticed that? Like, the, there are so many scenes where, like, the background is just, like, bl- like, matte black. And for a moment, it looks like just Winslow and Phoenix are hugging, and they're the only two people in the universe. And then as we pull out, we realize, like, oh, it's just that the wallpaper is black. Mm. Or when the Phantom is in the recording studio. There's so many scenes where it's just, like, a spotlight is being put on just this one little item. I don't know, like, it's not... It's not controversial to say like oh Brian De Palma's cinematography is always incredible but like if you if you really like Brian De Palma's cinematography you gotta check out Phantom of the Paradise it's got split screens it's got I don't know that it's got dioptic shots but it's got a lot of like rack focus shit that's just like love it okay so yeah I'm done gushing I'm sorry how are you gonna (laughs) (laughs) how are you gonna rate Phantom of the Paradise is this metal enough to give it a (laughs) 6.66 you could i will i will stick with our standard rating scale and i will give phantom of the paradise a four out of four i am also going to give it a four out of four i mean i was slightly worried because i know i have a feeling like you're not super nuts about like the last 10 minutes of the movie i do really really enjoy this movie i think some of the plot elements yeah are like a little bit forced but i love i love everything else so much that like honestly beef makes this whole movie a four out of four like yeah. it could do no wrong with any with five minutes of beef <laughs> and also how do you have a song an unused song from the movie that's going over the credits that is maybe better than so any other fucking good. song right? oh my god <laughs> it does feel weird that the ending doesn't have its own little musical number like it's just sort of like a like a party track yeah it's it's weird it's just um like it's like a psychedelic circus i guess but yeah fuck this movie's incredible But that's just our opinion. Phantom of the Paradise, the obvious winner in our head-to-head this week. Uh, Please let us know what you thought of these movies. Which do you think is better, the Rocky Horror Picture Show or Phantom of the Paradise? And and if you're seeing Phantom of the Paradise for the first time, please, please reach out to us on Twitter. I want to know what you think of this movie. We also want to hear about your favorite songs and stuff and whether you actually listen to the soundtracks on their own. Like if, if you too download them on your Spotify or wherever you listen to your music. Shout at us, let us know what songs you listen to most. It's Halloween season as well, so I'm sure you're you're using your Halloween playlist and building songs. If you have Time Warp on there, we want to hear what you're listening to. Yeah. You can tweet at us at NOFS Podcast. You can find us on Instagram at Instagram.com slash Nightmare on Film Street. Also, check out our website for our reviews, editorials, and all of our editorial content. There's tons of stuff there at NOFSPodcast.com. Nightmare on Film Street is, of course, listener-supported by fiends like yourself. Head over to patreon.com slash nightmareonfilmstreet to enjoy hours of bonus content. 
for becoming a monthly supporter of the show. And get stickers. Yeah, there's also stickers. There's merch discounts. We do live streams where we watch movies with our patrons all the time. There's reviews of current in-the-theater movies, you know, when those are around. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but yeah, all that, all the details are available to you over at patreon.com slash Nightmare on Film Street. Until next time, I'm Kim. I'm John. Stay, Stay creepy. creepy. It appears you made it out alive. But we'll get you next time. Help us to grow the horde. Leave a five-star review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you subscribe. More terror can be found lurking on our website at nofspodcast.com. And while you're at it, Check out all of the other spine-tingling shows on the Bloody Disgusting Podcast Network. Until next time, stay creepy, fiends.